0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golver. What's up,
1: man? Not too much, Andrew. With your permission, I would like to begin with a brief uh, statement, if I may. Okay, here we go. For immediate release, as of today, November 20th, the Milwaukee Bucks are the best team in the NBA, period, period full stop. And Andrew, with that, I'll open this up and take your questions.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, it's funny because you mentioned that to me last night and I did a little bit of a double take, but I had been thinking of it myself, at least in these terms, where I had been thinking if the playoffs started today and we were dealing with this screwed up version of the Warriors with no Steph Curry who would win the title and and how would it end and who would be there at the end i think the bucks are in the mix
1: andrew if the playoffs began today i think our our homies wes edens and his family up there in milwaukee would be paying a a little phone call to joe lake up and saying hey man we need uh, jason of beverly hills contact info we need to get (laughs) we need to get some custom rings in the works here Lay the
0: groundwork. I like it. Um, You know, that actually dovetails nicely with where I want to start today because we're a month into the season. We're headed away on break. This podcast will release Wednesday morning, and it's the only pod we're putting out this week. You're gonna be, aren't you going to Yellowstone this week?
1: No, Yosemite, but Andrew, do we do we, do we not say Thanksgiving anymore? Is, is that some oh. sort of a, a tradition that no longer is allowed? It's a Thanksgiving No, break. no,
0: no, there's no war on Thanksgiving. Yes, it's Thanksgiving break, and so we're going away. And we've also had like a significant enough sample to start taking stock of the landscape. So I wanted to start with a quick check-in around the top of the league. And to do that, I want to play a quick game. A a friend of mine who works in a front office has something that he calls a fraud list that he keeps for various players around the league who aren't as good as everyone thinks. And I want to use that framework today, but instead of players, let's talk about teams. So for the first 20 minutes or so, let's just take a look at the top 10 teams in the league, and I I want you to tell me whether they are on your fraud list as contenders. Okay. Are you cool with that?
1: Okay, okay, okay. First of all, uh, another quality anonymous name drop from you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> but you, you took it up to the next level. It's amazing that this anonymous name drop person who who happens to work for a team would have such a SEO friendly and clickbait ready Uh, personal uh, mechanism for tracking quote unquote frauds? I mean, does he also keep track of like the teams with the 10 best dancers around the league? Is he also like, you know?
0: Well, no, it's, first of all, I don't know if fraud list is that SEO friendly. I don't know who's searching out frauds, but I enjoy enjoy the binary.
1: I'm just saying, does this guy work for an NBA team or for Barstool? I mean, where where are we going? What direction? (laughs) No,
0: he works for a front office and I love it. And uh, and we're not going to get into players because I think we, that gets a little too personal on the podcast. But if we talk about it with teams, I don't know. I think we could we could have some fun with this. Andrew,
1: this just seems like a gigantic windup so you could trash the Sixers. Is that what we're doing here or are we going to do this exercise seriously?
0: Well, we can start with the Sixers if you want. I mean, I personally, I am... Uh, I'm pressing pause on any Sixers analysis for the first month because it seems like Jimmy Butler is still feeling things out and I don't want to jump the gun with any Ben Simmons concern trolling. Everybody is still kind of getting comfortable there, although I do think it's concerning that even against teams like the Suns and the Hornets, the Hornets have been actually pretty good, and we'll get to Kemba uh, later in the podcast, but like – the, the Sixers haven't blown any anyone out, and they've they've blown a lot of big leads, and they're not making this look easy. Um, but it's been ten days, so we should hold hold off on any like big picture Sixers worries.
1: Oh uh, yeah, or we could look at Markel Fultz taking another sabbatical and and get pretty nervous for them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean the Fultz thing, I. It, is it weird that I think that that's actually like the best thing he could do right now is just take a step back and and maybe maybe it is something physical but at, like the involvement of his attorney and the way David Aldridge worded that report was like perfectly cryptic and in keeping with everything else we've seen from Fultz and Philly the last year and a half. But, uh, yeah, let's get but some, I do think that's probably the best thing.
1: Let's get some lawsuits and some discovery. Let's dig into the details. Let's really turn everybody loose with, with the Fultz saga. <laughs> I mean, this could be great. Um, no, I think it is probably the best thing for him. We know he never should have been starting. I've been saying that since day one this season. I just worry how many times, like how many consecutive seasons are you just going to take the, hey, it's what's important for me to do right now, sabbatical, before we give up? I guess that's my question, right? Like he already did that last year. Now we're in year two. Um, Who knows where it will go? If he does it again next year, are you still going to feel like that's the best thing for him or like, you know, how long are we playing this thing out?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that they were already at the point where they were about to give up anyways, and so that's why... You know, I'm not sure how much he's sacrificing by stepping away from the team right now, and um, and it does seem like this all ends with Foltz being traded and getting a fresh start somewhere else, and and that will be kind of the final opportunity for him, and we'll have to see where it goes. It just. I, I think objectively speaking, it doesn't look great right now and it's a bummer for everybody.
1: Well, perfect. I've derailed this conversation entirely. Let's get back <laughs> completely. To your, Let's
0: get back to the fraud list, The okay? Fraud <laughs>
1: list, okay.
0: Uh what do you think of the Sixers though? Are you a believer long term?
1: Uh no, not really. I mean I I think that their the opening of the Jimmy Butler era could definitely have gone worse. Um yeah. obviously he he pulled a rabbit out of his hat with that three pointer the other night against the Hornets. Um, I think they're you know, slowly trying to kind of figure out how they want to use Simmons. But to me, like Simmons is going to be marginalized one way or another. Uh, mm-hmm. When they're playing faster, like when Simmons is hitting Butler in transition or vice versa, that's when they're at their best. Are they going to be able to consistently do that? Uh, that's my concern. Um, I guess if we're talking contenders, like true contenders, um, I, I'm not sure I see it with them quite yet this year. I think that they would either need to make another move um, or, you know, to get this vaunted shooting, like the, the mysterious shooter, who's going to come out of nowhere and help, help stretch the core for them, like a, a stretch four. they need to like have that guy appear. I just don't really yeah. trust Muscala as your guy. Um, but I, I, I don't think I'm going to go so far to call them frauds. I mean, that seems like kind of a loaded term, Andrew, like if a team can, <laughs> if a team can make the Eastern conference finals, which I think Philly could, I don't know if that yeah. makes them fraudulent.
0: Okay. Um, the the one thing I would add, even if you're concerned about the Sixers ceiling, it is kind of nice to watch Jimmy Butler and just remember how good he is. No. I mean, it, the whole thing with Jimmy has been so fraught for the last two months or so, but watching him at the end of that Hornets game, the defense he played on Kemba in overtime was just as impressive as the I mean he he's physical sure but like dude the block on Kemba was ridiculous and then to the turn around and hit that three like Jimmy is really 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 good yeah and
1: yeah he kept he, he, he held Kemba to only 60 kept him under 61 It's phenomenal I'm glad he admitted that in the post game and no. Well, he
0: won the game for them. I
1: mean, come on. No, you you're looking at a 12-second sample size. I mean, the whole game he was fine. He was not great. He was badly outplayed by Kemba Walker. If Kemba had any help, at all the the hordits with that game and it's not nice to watch jimmy butler because this guy was there the whole time he was just pouting for the last you know three months and making us suffer through it day by day you love giving passes to these guys and hey everything's fine now it's okay no accountability not for me and you i'm not enjoying the experience even though that was a nice shot
0: yeah uh, my only point is it, take a second to appreciate how ridiculous jimmy butler is he's ridiculous off the court he's ridiculous in the locker room but on the court he generally makes the whole bargain worthwhile. And um, and I think if you're a Sixers fan, having somebody out there who can close games and actually go win is a big step up from where they've been for the last year and a half.
1: Um, okay, so what do you see their ceiling, though? I mean...
0: I see conference finals as their ceiling. I don't see them getting to the finals, and I think things will start to get even more interesting this summer, which we can talk about in in a few minutes here. Um, So
1: are they frauds by this rubric, or what's your fraud rubric? (laughs)
0: Look, we don't have to keep coming back to the fraud list. We can just say whether we believe or not, okay? I think that they are good. And uh, I'm I'm not a believer in them as like genuine contenders. Okay,
1: here's a better question. Are you worried that your take it to the, you know, take it to the house five star lock pick on them going under is going to be wrong? And then are you more worried that that one's going to be wrong or that the Celtics uh, going over which you guaranteed is going to be wrong? Or are you worried about both of them going sideways?
0: Um, I'm worried about I'm more worried about the Celtics. I think the Sixers are gonna have some growing pains along the way that will complicate them getting to I mean the Sixers over under I think was like 54 games I mean they they are probably not going to go win 55 games even with Jimmy Butler there. Do you agree?
1: They might uh, I mean I, I like their ability to do that better than Boston's ability to cover whatever their over was.
0: Yeah uh, well, let Put it this way, I'm less confident in the Sixers going under now that they've traded for Jimmy Butler, and I would not have been quite as vociferous... In my Sixers skepticism, had Jimmy been there on day one, but that's uh, that's why they did the deal.
1: Yeah, I'm sure your I'm sure your bookie will give you your money back because of that. It's fine. I mean, trades happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like every time we talk about the over unders, I make sure to stress that I'm happy that I don't live near a casino. Okay, so I didn't bet any. I didn't bet either way on the Sixers or the Celtics. Um, well, I, the, it sounds
1: like we're on the same page with Philly, though. So who's next?
0: The Warriors, we both believe, right? Despite all the kind of chaos the last two weeks, we're going to get to May and they're still going to be head and shoulders above everyone else.
1: Yes. I would love to hear the argument that they're frauds. Can we even just (laughs) like, can we try to do it? Should we just like try to do a brainstorm? You know how you're supposed to learn how to do debating by like taking up the opposite side of the argument. Let's try to make the case that the Warriors are frauds. You go first. You
0: know, I really don't have much Because I'm a believer in Steph And when Steph gets back, they will be fine I am heartened by the last two weeks Kind of underscoring Just how valuable he is to everything they do Um, I think this, this is more evidence for my Steph Curry is actually better than Kevin Durant take. Um,
1: oh but, yeah, uh, I, I love that thinking. When a guy's injured and giving you absolutely nothing, all of a sudden he's valuable. Really? Okay. Well, well Greg, Greg Odin might be better than uh, you know Kareem Abdul Jabbar if, if that's the look, version we're man, gonna go with. Come here's on. Here's
0: the the bottom line: is this the Warriors have had more success than any team in the past 25 years for the last five seasons in the NBA. And when you remove Steph Curry from that equation, the entire system starts to get pretty discombobulated. And that's where the Warriors have been. And uh, well, I think they, he deserves a lot of credit.
1: They built the whole thing around him. Okay, so here is my, you know, counter argument why they're frauds. Their bench okay. is, is garbage. I mean it's just not Oh garbage. my
0: god. That is a good that is a good point. Okay, because watching some of these games, you're like how did this happen? I mean, they're relying pretty heavily on guys like Quinn Cook and Jonas Jerebko. I mean, like it's a real skeleton crew once you get outside that top 6.
1: Well said. Second point would be they're thin at point guard. So like they can't really withstand the Steph injury. Not only does it screw up their whole system, but just I mean, everything like the investment <laughs> of the other guys, guy. Yeah. yeah. Like even if they had a league average backup where you could plug it in and like, you know, KD would be able to just kind of like get along do what he normally does. They have to change everything, put the ball in KD's hands, you know, Clay, all of a sudden his shot quality is going way down. They just don't really have any option there. I think that mm-hmm. would be another thing. So they're completely dependent upon Steph's health. That would be number two. Number three, KD's in a mood. Okay. And like I defend KD pretty much the death all the time, but he's in a mood right now. And yeah. hopefully, and I don't that, blame him for that. Hopefully, that will not continue for the whole season, but it might, or it might pop up at the wrong times. And like the the, the painful memories of the Western Conference Finals, where everybody was blaming him and singing Steph's praises, could pop up if they hit some turbulence, um, you know, in a playoff series. I would say that. I would also say uh, <clears throat> overall, their three point shooting, like that, is also super dependent on Steph. Uh, yep, they're. You know, their auxiliary shooters, if you want to call them that, uh, are not there. And so if they wind up getting into a shootout with certain teams, I think unless Steph is really hitting, uh, they're sort of vulnerable. Uh, that's, and I guess Draymond, you know, just general questions about Draymond. Can he crank it up as far as he cranked it up uh, during last year's playoffs? I think that is the case for them being frauds. I don't think it's a very strong case, Andrew. I think they're going to be Well,
0: fine. listen, credit to you. I did not have the energy or inclination to sit here and play devil's advocate on the Warriors, but all of those points are good. They're, we don't have enough Evidence with Draymond yet, but there's plenty of room to be skeptical about how his body is going to hold up over the course of the season. It doesn't look great right now. And um, the other thing I would add is that, you know, year after year, anytime someone brings up Klay Thompson, someone on Twitter will pop up and say, man, I wish Klay had his own team. I'm glad Clay doesn't have his own team because I don't think that he would thrive the way some people imagine. And I think that playing next to Steph Curry is like the greatest possible situation for him. And we're seeing when he's asked to create on his own, he's not quite what you would hope. Um, and granted, he's been in probably the worst slump of the last five years for him. but um, But that's another factor where Once you add Steph Curry back into the equation, everything will probably look fine. But Clay has been struggling just the same as Durant has.
1: One other uh, guy who's in a mood right now, Steve Kerr, and I I wonder if you know he he made this comment this week of like, hey, we're you know dealing with the real NBA deals with, right? Well, if he gets into a playoff situation he's dealing with what the real NBA deals with. Is there a possibility he starts spite coaching Andrew, you know, just sort of being like, (laughs) oh, you guys are going to tune me out. I'm going to tune you guys out. I'm going to start playing, you know, 12 guys in these, you know, crazy matchups and, you know, force feeding all these random role players who don't deserve to get the ball and like, you know, taking it out of Steph's hands. I mean, does he wind up spite coaching them because he's just so frustrated and and kind of, uh, you know, over uh, their internal chemistry issues? Is that also possible?
0: Yeah, I feel like all of these are the conversations that we were having last year, and then we turned around and watched the Warriors run through the playoffs and look completely untouchable. So that's another reason to not doubt the Warriors. Um, but it is going to be fun to watch Kerr navigate all of this through the next six months or so. Moving on, the Rockets and Jazz. Where are you at?
1: in terms of are they gonna be contenders? I mean they're yeah. not not right now. Uh, they're they're in trouble. I think Utah needs to get in on the pillaging of your Washington Wizards, Andrew. Can we get Bradley Beal in a jazz uniform? Can we get a little yeah, can man. we can we they get a little do. Donovan Mitchell Bradley Beal combo or maybe throw Otto Porter into their mix? I mean, they gotta do something on offense to to get it up to a higher level consistently. Um Everybody well, else is, is running these crazy shootouts, and I'm just not sure they can keep up, and it, it pains me to say that, obviously, but um, it's not like they've been completely left behind, but there's a shift in the league in terms of how basketball is being played, and it doesn't feel like they're able to kind of stay on that cutting edge, that, that front wave, as much as they were last season.
0: By the way, so... You come on this podcast every week and like to hold me accountable for my takes, and uh, and and you're you're the take scorekeeper on this podcast, and I rarely partake. However, and we're saying take too many times now, but um, fraud
1: take fraud <laughs>
0: fraud take Scrape at the bottom of the barrel. This is the lowest common right. denominator. Stop podcast.
1: winding up. What did I supposedly get wrong? <laughs>
0: You called the Jazz, like, the second best team in the West, predicted 55 wins for them, and I said, look, I'm a believer in the Jazz. I do worry about the offense. I think the the offense was pretty iffy last year, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on Donovan Mitchell this year, and so far, that's how it's played out. In Utah, we're like, I'm still a Donovan Mitchell believer, but right now, they're asking him to do too much. And it's not working for the team. It's not working for Mitchell. And I do hope that they can make a move. If they could somehow land Bradley Beal, and look, we're going to get to the Wizards in about 15 minutes, uh, I would be thrilled for them. I would be thrilled for Beal. I just want good things to happen to Bradley Beal and Otto Porter. So um, that would be fantastic. But they have to do something because right now, like, the mix they have is not enough. Joe Ingles is great, but when he's your second best player or some nights he's your best scorer, like, that's a real problem.
1: Yeah, Rubio coming back to Earth a little bit too. Uh, I would love them to get Beal. That's my dream Beal destination, I think, of, of basically anyone. Um, I, I think, you know, I'm not going to admit that I was wrong on Utah, but I will blame you for hyping me up on Donovan Mitchell a little bit too much. I think that (laughs) clearly (laughs) listening to your propaganda for four or five straight months last year, kind of colored my vision of what their offense could be. But I'll also say this, like the reason why I keep bringing up style of play as something that's affected them. I didn't see the NBA kind of going this wild in terms of scoring and it's still continuing. I mean, teams are putting up 130, 140. Uh, You know, every single guy is getting numbers. You know, I love tracking these 50-point games, Andrew. It's like a nightly thing. I might need to hire an intern to do my tweets (laughs) for how often guys are getting 50 and 60-point games. It's just, you know, it's a a very regular occurrence. And I think the firepower was always their issue, right? It was their issue three years ago. It's kind of been the same thing. But when everybody else is just, like, continuing to load up, continuing to play faster, and you're trying to slow everyone down and, and play your way and grind it out... Uh, you know, your margins a lot smaller. And, and Mitchell hasn't been great. I mean, I think we can we can agree on that. It's kind of funny. All three of last year's amazing rookies, Simmons, Mitchell and Tatum are all, you know, getting that little sophomore slump, aren't they?
0: Yeah, well, and I think it speaks to the way we talk about young players, because when guys are rookies, and there are no expectations, we'll watch Donovan Mitchell go out and have like, 35 I put up like 35 and 8 and we'll say, Oh my god, this guy is a future superstar. And then suddenly there's like a logical leap in this in the summer between the first year and the second year, where everyone just starts penciling them in as actual stars. And the reality is that like to be at that level, you have to do it consistently, night after night after night. And um and it's much harder to do it consistently. And I, I think Jason Tatum And Ben Simmons are going through the same thing where like they still have moments where you see them and say, oh, my God, this guy is going to own the league in five years. But um, but it takes longer to develop that kind of consistent excellence um, where it's sort of effortless and it's like a reflex. And uh, I think we're watching that play out in in a couple of different situations.
1: That's really well said. Do you view the Rockets as frauds? I'm
0: starting to believe more in the Rockets, and um, I'm kind of in shock because I was watching the first couple weeks of these Rockets games, and the the whole team just looked so sluggish, and just like literally everyone on the court was just a step slow, and they looked less athletic than everyone they were playing. And I was watching these games and thinking, look, it can't possibly be that Carmelo has made the whole team slower no, and I, less. I, I think
1: that's what it was. I think they were <laughs> infected with Carmeloitis. I think that's exactly what it was.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I hate to say it, but for the last ten days, Houston looks like Houston again, and James Harden and Chris Paul are playing much better, which is probably not related to Carmelo. And and the recipe for this Rockets team kind of requires them to be elite for, for Houston to have a chance to really contend um, just because of the way the salaries are structured. I mean, it's like Harden, Capella, Chris Paul, and then everybody else on the roster is on a minimum deal. And so they need their stars to be superstars. And that's that has happened. But in addition, you throw in guys like James Ennis and the rookie Gary Clark, and they, it's actually started to work in Houston. And so I'm more of a believer than I was three weeks ago. And I think that, lo and behold, Maury's Rockets are going to be in the top three, just like everyone expected.
1: Yeah, I mean, they need Harden and Paul, both on the court, playing well to be really good. They finally got that and they played well. You know, big surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's I, not that complicated. I, I was never really in panic mode with them, but I do think that, you know, the gap between them, even now that they're back on track, and Golden State with Steph Healthy is significantly wider than last year, right? So I don't know, does that consider them fries if they can make the Western Conference Finals? I still think that's possible for them. But to me, I think that series is easier this year than it was last year.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. But I also think that anyone who's a Rockets fan has got to be feeling much better about where the team is. And again, it can't all be Melo's fault, but it really does help to remove Carmelo from the equation. Man, it was
1: um, so funny because they were hyped up on Melo. The local media down there really bought into Melo. <laughs> <totally. laughs> and everybody else was trying to tell him like, nah, guys, like it's not going to work. He's not that And you guy. know what's
0: funny is that Rockets community, the Rockets fan community online at least, that's a group of people who have been reared on Maury Ball oh, and, yeah. and see the game in a smart way. And yet they were all too willing to just talk themselves into Carmelo Anthony as like a viable third option down there and um,
1: I'm with you I feel like the Houston Rockets bloggers are basically like NASA scientists you know like uh, uh, they're (laughs) moonlighting as basketball fans completely uh, brainwashed by Maury's you know approach to basketball high efficiency and everything and somehow these were the the brilliant minds who got seduced by Carmelo Anthony (laughs)
0: listen it happens to the best of us Rockets bloggers I've been there many times um I want to believe in mellow as much as anybody, but I think it's the end of the line. So nuggets and blazers here to keep it moving in the West.
1: Well, well, I think these teams are what you're trying to get at, right? Because you yeah. can make a real case that both these teams are really exciting, could have a dream run to the Western conference finals. They have a really high ceiling on their good nights. I guess my question is, is either one of these teams consistent enough and, um, you know, just like reliable enough to actually make the leap this season. And Denver, Mm -hmm. to me, when they started off this year, they looked like that team, but then they've fallen on some pretty hard times here over the last, uh, you know, week or two. It's almost like Jamal Murray cursed them by trying to chase that 50 points. It's like (laughs) whole seasons fallen apart since then. And with Portland, they've had probably even more consistently really nice wins and moments than Denver. Uh, but still, I think that you know they like they got worked like by the Lakers you know, in LA. I mean that's that shouldn't happen. Like you're better than the Lakers, you shouldn't just get run off the court. So I, I don't know if I'm buying into either one of these teams. I don't think I'm quite ready to label them frauds, but I don't see them being A-list contenders or even B-list contenders. Really.
0: Yeah, I agree, and it's unfortunate because they are going to be really enjoyable for the next six months. But I think the best way to think about both of these teams. Is to look at them and say, these are great regular season teams that will be a great watch on almost any given night in the over the course of the next 60 games or so, and then we'll all have to just kind of wait and see in the playoffs and come in with low expectations, and maybe Andrew, one of them will exceed it.
1: Are you trying to call them cute stories? I mean, basically...
0: I, I'm not trying to call them cute stories. I'm trying to call them good stories. Okay, they're gonna be fun in the meantime and long term. The the ceiling is probably lower than some fans would want it to be. Um, but you know, there's always the chance that Denver can make a move going forward that changes that equation. Um, but well, and also the one thing I would add with the Nuggets is we've we haven't seen them with Will Barton back. And um, once they get Will Barton back, maybe that kind of raises the ceiling and raises the floor for them where they become like a consistent top four team in the West. Uh, But right now they're just a little bit too unpredictable and particularly on the road. Like they just haven't really gotten it done.
1: Yeah, look, when I say the phrase cute stories, obviously I say with disdain in my voice, so that seems like I'm, <laughs> I, I'm saying it's a bad thing. That's a good thing. A cute story is a good story, Andrew. There's a lot of good in cute, isn't there? I Let mean, me
0: tell you something. As a Wizards fan who has sat through year after year with miserable regular seasons in Washington where you watch these teams constantly lose winnable games, like it would be fun to just watch Damian Lillard dominate for six months, and it would be fun to watch Nikola Jokic get in his bag and have like triple doubles every other week and just sort of like take the league by storm that's that's good enough you know what i mean
1: you would uh, settle for kemba and the walking airs right now i mean like, <laughs> i really really you're, you'd die for a cute story i mean yes <laughs> hideous ugly wretched story at DZ right now
0: i had that thought watching the hornets last night i was like man i would do Anything, I would trade Wall and Beal for Kemba just to have him in Washington doing this. Um, Not
1: sure that would be enough, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) The the thunder, okay? So both you and I came on this podcast about a month ago and buried OKC after their first three games. I still have trouble taking them seriously as anything more than like a second-round playoff team, but have your thoughts changed at all over the past few weeks? Because they have sort of righted the ship to some degree. Um, and much, many of those games have come without Russ. So it's, I mean, it's impressive what they've done.
1: My thoughts have not changed since July 4th, uh, 2016, when Katie left, that was it. Uh, I think they're in the same place. Uh, again, you, you can talk yourself into being a fun and you know high energy team. They've got some athletes that kind of support their, their main stars. They just don't have enough to me. They don't have a well-designed enough offense, and even Westbrook at his best is not enough uh, to get over the hump in these playoff series. I'm a firm uh, skeptic at this point. Uh, They got beat pretty handily last night by the Sacramento Kings. That's a warning uh, sign because this isn't like two weeks ago when everybody's still trying to get up to speed. This is Westbrook back on the court, and then they just got smacked by a team that tried to give away the game in the the final two minutes because they're still so young. Um, Yeah. I don't know. What's the case that they're not frauds? I think in terms of the championship picture, I don't think they're in it.
0: Yeah. I think the case is that, well, I don't know. It depends on how we define success for this team. I think that they are going to be about as good as um, some of the kind of more conservative projections had them. Like I think that they will finish in the middle of the West and, and be solid and be right there. And then, won't have enough to really do anything in the playoffs, which is about what we thought. Um, granted after a week, I was like, this could get really dark and, uh, I don't think it's going to get that dark in Oklahoma city, but yeah, last night against Sacramento, it, it was not a good sign because the thunder were fighting for that game and wanted that game and, and fought back in the second half and they still couldn't really get it done. Um, so, I mean, credit to them for fighting hard and not just giving away a, a game to the Kings, but you still lost to the Kings. And the Kings yeah. have been great, and De'Aaron Fox is great, but they're still the Kings. So it's it's a concern.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess credit to them for fighting hard, but isn't it just the same frantic energy of Westbrook running around, you know, playing with purpose but not a purpose? It's the same deal, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it, I guess so. I mean, look, I, the Thunder, I've just kind of worn out by by the Thunder and these conversations that we've had over the last three or four seasons with them
1: here's a question for you at what point will the Thunder fan base turn on Russell I'm not saying it's going to happen this year or next year but if you had to pinpoint some you know time period in in the future what would need to happen or at what point of his contract do you think the Thunder fans are no longer just like complete Russell Westbrook diehards
0: I actually think it could happen. Next year, in part because at this point, you know, there's so many emotions packed into each season for any team in the NBA. There's so many different cycles of like takes and um, rises and falls. And I think that like by the time you get to March of next year, if the Thunder are still staring at like a clear second round ceiling with Westbrook and he's still having these games where he goes, you know, eight for 27 and they lose a winnable game against a team that's going to be in the lottery. Like Thunder fans may start to get restless Um and, you know, understandably so. Like it's, it's, it's hard to just live the same story over and over again.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, to his credit, they're where they need to be in the standings, right? Like, given the time he missed early in the season, like, not only to his credit, but I guess to everybody's credit, like, they could have been, you know, playing out of a hole this season, no question about it, given his kind of slow start with the injury, and they're just trying to, you know, get guys like him in and Schroeder together on the same page so I think if I was a Thunder fan right now I'd be feeling really good and I'd be saying these guys are crazy for even you know broaching this kind of conversation they're they're disrespecting Westbrook and and everything else but I I do feel like there's an expiration date on how far this team can go I mean Presti has done so uh, much work over the years trying to cycle those other pieces and he's going to continue doing that but it seems like they never really raised their ceiling Um, yeah and at some point, I, I think people will start to get tired of it, especially if Westbrook's game individually slips a little bit. I'm not sure it'll be next year, but I like your aggressiveness. That's great, uh, and keep that up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. They the first half of your statement is what's important. The Thunder deserve a lot of credit for salvaging this and and sort of writing the ship because Paul George has been great. You know, Jeremy Grant has been great. Stephen Adams is playing really well. Um, they got. A nice game from Hamadou Diallo last night. There's still year after year that the Thunder are in search of that elusive wing and maybe Diallo is the guy. We'll see. But um, to finish this out, Bucks and Raptors. I think we all know that you're a believer in the Bucks. How do you feel about the Raptors right now?
1: Wait, you're not even going to let me talk about the Bucks. The Bucks are number 1 <laughs> in the league in point differential. They have this unbelievable ability to to launch comebacks. You know, they, they trust their offense, even when they get down double digits. Yeah. Uh, the the overall scheme has just been phenomenal. Like, they get to it. Brooke Lopez, one of the best signings of the summer for his price in terms of what he's able to give. I mean, it's not just his own shooting, but just the space that he creates. Um, Their ability to match up, especially when, you know, obviously – uh, you know, they can go big or small, but like when Giannis, if they do want to go small, they can match up with basically anybody in terms of a playoff format. Um, I do worry a little bit about the depth. I want to see Milwaukee get in on some of these like buyout type guys, you know, after the trade deadline, like can they add another piece or two to just sort of like fill things out? Because that could be a tough ask. Like if you're a guy weighing your options between like go be a shooter for LeBron or go deal with Wisconsin, you know, I think that yeah. that, that could be tricky. But they're now getting into that conversation almost like you know Philly last year when they, they made some late season pickups for their playoff run. I hope Milwaukee can kind of you know wedge their way in there. But they're not frauds at all, Andrew. These guys are the real deal. I think their sample size is big enough at this point where we know that they have a real shot at the Eastern Conference Finals. And it would not shock me if they made the finals. Uh, some of that is respect for them. And some of that is just disrespect for the rest of the Eastern Conference.
0: Yeah, well, you know what's shocking is some of your evangelism in text messages to me after your day with the Bucks has really affected the way I see this team. Because you're the way you were talking about how disappointed like the media guy was with the Clippers loss and how despondent Giannis was in the locker room. It actually lines up with what I'm seeing from Milwaukee every night because even against the Nuggets, like that was a game where shots weren't falling. The nuggets had a second half lead and it would have been pretty reasonable for them to lose that game to a good team from the West. Doesn't really make or break anything for Milwaukee, but they came back and fought and just took that game in the second half. And we've seen them do that a number of times through the first month or so here. And, um, I agree with you. I think that they're legit and they are serious about this season in a way that a lot of other teams who are young and, and you can actually kind of excuse their inconsistency, but Milwaukee isn't there. And, and I think it's a credit to Giannis, it's a credit to Budenholzer, and um, they're going to be a pain in the ass to play against all year long.
1: Yeah, for sure. And they also just like smacking teams, too. Like They're not afraid yeah. to just run you off the court and beat you by 20. I, I think and you're that right.
0: would be what I would say there is like that's the difference between Milwaukee and the Sixers is is there are a number of games where the Bucs come out and just dominate and and make it look easy. And that hasn't been happening in Philly, which is fine. Sixers have six months to get it together before the playoffs. But um, but it's a good sign for the Bucs that they're it's kind of like a well-oiled machine on a lot of these nights.
1: All right. Well, I'm glad we're both blue bubble ganging it up. This is great. <laughs> yeah, you uh, got in your
0: requisite uh, bucks. Love. Hit me with your Raptors thoughts.
1: I think that they're the second best team in the East right now. To me, it goes Milwaukee one, Toronto two. Um, they've been really, really good. I think the questions for them uh, are similar, maybe just like slightly twisted versions of you know what we've said in the past of how many of these young guys do you trust in this year's playoffs? Because we trusted a lot of their young guys heading into last year's playoffs and that proved to be a a terrible miscalculation. I mean, Van Vliet, their young guys had no chance defending LeBron in the second round. Are those guys ready to take the next step? You know, whether it's, uh, you know, Pascal Siakam, uh, you know, Van Vliet himself right in the back of point guard, like they're going to need, they rely so much on their depth, I guess, in the regular season and their, their lineup versatility all those sort of like secondary or third level players have a lot to prove in terms of, do they translate to the playoffs? And so that's kind of where my hesitation comes from. I mean, that and the Kawhi minutes management and, and games management thing, it just irks me. You know, I think yeah. that he's ready to, to be turned loose a little bit and I'm sure they will at some point. Um, but you know, to me, he does not belong in the MVP conversation yet. I mean, I think that that was premature, uh you know excitement from the Raptors nation well, yeah
0: and it was reasonable excitement from a lot of people around the league who who looked up and saw oh my god Kawhi is actually the same guy which was not a sure thing coming into the season but he looked really good early on I agree with you in general though I think the ceiling for the Raptors is the finals which is what we said coming into the season. Um I worry about whether they will have an extra gear in the playoffs, which is the same worry we've always had with this team. And uh, I I do really like Siakam and have been taken aback by just how good he's been over the last three weeks or so. Some of which started when Kawhi was out. Um, And I think that's got to be encouraging. You're right to be skeptical about how real it is and, and whether that will last to may. Um, But really like, the extra gear part of this equation comes down to Kawhi and uh, and whether he has it and whether he's going to have it consistently over the course of a couple different playoff series. And I don't know. I, I don't know what to believe with him. And um, it's let me funny ask you because... this:
1: Both teams are fully healthy. If you are Golden State, are you more afraid of Milwaukee or Toronto or somebody else?
0: Um, you know, if if I am Golden State, I think I would be more afraid of. Toronto because Kawhi has traditionally given them problems. Kawhi and and Kyrie Irving are the two superstars in the NBA that Golden State has struggled to kind of um answer in in some like big games over the past couple seasons and uh that's not to say that like they should ever really worry because they're the Warriors, but I think Given the choice, they would they would take a matchup with the Bucks and assume that Giannis is not quite ready to to do it in primetime yet. But um, but it's it's tough and it's funny because as we were teasing out the hypothetical playoff series, if it started tomorrow, like I think I would take Giannis in a series against Kawhi, and I can't totally explain why, except that I think that Giannis is sort of like the prince who was promised, and Kawhi, I don't totally buy as a top three MVP candidate type player.
1: There's going to be a lot of pressure on Kawhi in these upcoming playoffs. Can you imagine if he has a couple of bad games, how the Raptors fans who have been through every possible playoff heartbreak will react? They will yeah. lose their mind. And I think even Kawhi won't be able to kind of insulate himself from that criticism. So. I do wonder just about the overall pressure cooker there. I mean, not only, I don't know what that Prince thing that you were talking about was, but it might be something (laughs) like Milwaukee's living a charm season and they're going to enter the playoffs most likely with really good momentum and not that big of expectations. Like even if they're the one seed or like, even if they have home court, I mean, whatever else, I don't feel like people are going to be saying, oh, Milwaukee, like, you know, this is basically their, their real first shot at it, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure there's going to be the same level of like, you have to do it. I mean, there's no free agency hanging over things. So that's going to be hanging over Kawhi too. Uh, I don't know. I, I just think from a mental standpoint, emotional standpoint, I think Milwaukee does have a, an edge potentially there.
0: Yeah. I mean, what it comes down to is that I think that Giannis's destiny is to own the NBA. And and it's hard <laughs> to explain, but I think that that's where we're going to be in four or five years. Whereas I don't know if Kawhi has quite as high a ceiling um, as far as like defining superstar. And so I, I think that that will be borne out at some point in the playoffs. Um, I, think, I think
1: you're just reading internal documents from Giannis Inc. now. like <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That sounded like straight off a PowerPoint slide. Like his destiny is to own the NBA. I'm with you. I think there's something to what you're saying. I'm with you. Yeah.
0: Um, all right. So two questions on the Celtics and Sixers. Edward says, Hey guys, big fan of the pod. I thought the Celtics discussion was good last week. Quick question for Ben. After watching Kyrie put 43 points and 11 assists on 69% shooting on the Raptors, would you say that's an A game for Kyrie? Also, huge props to Sharp for the jinx on Gordon Hayward. Since Sharp said it's not Kyrie's fault, Hayward looks like a shell of himself who will never recover... Gordon Hayward went for 11-4-4 against Chicago and and 15-5-5 against Toronto. So, listen, those stat lines are not really knocking anyone's socks off. Those are pathetic. Edward, I
1: feel bad for you. I have a quick question for you, Edward. After watching Kyrie Irving go for 20 points and one assist in a very, very ugly loss to the Utah Jazz in which the Celtics only scored 86 points, would you call that an F game from Kyrie? Uh, I think I would. And here's my thing with Kyrie, because we obviously got a lot of people upset that I was criticizing him for, you know, where their offense is and and you kind of mounted a defense on his behalf. Yeah, I
0: was right, but
1: <laughs> no, not at all because here's what you say and you've said this before. Oh, he's the guy that you need to be able to have to take over a fourth quarter in the playoffs. He's not brought in here to run an offense. Since when do we ever say that about elite point guards that, you know, we're just going to settle, we're going to give them a pass on not being able to, you know, take a team to a top 10 offense. I'm not even asking for like a true juggernaut. I'm just saying be above average. Right now they're stuck at 23rd. There's clear and obvious problems on offense. And you can either blame Kyrie for that, or you can blame Brad for that. I know you're not going to blame Brad for that because you've got this guy <laughs> as the patron saint of basketball. So let's look at Kyrie. Why is it that here's a player deep into his career, basically what, into his third contract now, uh, or uh-huh. coming or coming up on it, where there really hasn't been a lot of evolution? I love his his basketball skills. Amazing layups, amazing dribbling. It's, it's really impressive that he can balance on two basketballs w- with his feet while dribbling two other basketballs uh, during an offseason sort of mixtape, right? That's really cool. How about just balancing an offense? How about getting Jalen Brown going, getting Jason Tatum going, and growing yourself as a game? After our big debate, Andrew, I was, I was thinking like, you know, I understand there's sort of a fine line between that modern score first point guard and a guy who can sort of, you know, be a dual threat and get everybody involved. But to me, Kyrie's definitely not been as good As players like Kemba or Damian Lillard this season. And those guys are, uh, you know, potentially translating more of their own individual play to their team's success. And I don't know. Like, I think there's, he's part of the problem. He's not the whole problem, but his night to night consistency in terms of getting the team where they need to be offensively, functioning how they should be, just hasn't been good enough. And by the way, like, they're still a lot worse when he's on the court defensively as well. So, I think he deserves the criticism. I mean, Edward, you know, deep down, there are problems with your team. (laughs) No, deep down, Celtics fans know there are some issues, right? Aren't we past the point of denial saying, look, they've got some real serious stuff they have to iron out here. So don't blame me for for saying that Kyrie might be part of it.
0: Well, I think you've misconstrued what's actually happening with the Celtics, where the reality is that Kyrie is not the problem itself. And Kyrie is not part of the problem, but he is also not part of the solution because he's not the guard that is going to find ways to get everyone else going and get Jason and Jalen Brown involved.
1: Why are we willing to give him that pass? Do we ever say that about another point guard on his level? Imagine if we said that about Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, James Harden. Oh, guys, look, I mean, he's just a scorer. You know, well, James Harden's just a is... scorer. He doesn't have to get his teammates involved. Are you crazy? We <laughs> we never say that about point guards. Andrew, come on. But
0: you know what? That's why I love Kyrie. That's why he's so interesting. And and first of all, that's why he's never mentioned as a top five player the way Steph Curry is. Okay, he's not super consistent. He's not going to carry your team all year long. He's not a system him unto himself. However, he is still good enough to take over at the highest levels of basketball. And that counts for something too. And that balances out to you ranking him in the mid teens next to Damian Lillard, which is fine. Here's, here's
1: what, here's what bothers me though. Doesn't he have too many mellow tendencies? His, his, his willingness to always double down his willingness to trust himself over his teammates, uh, you know, never kind of uh, wanting to adjust kind of being indignant uh, I mean, aren't those all like <laughs> mellow-like qualities from Kyrie Irving? And if Hold that's on. your if that's your lead ball handler, your leading scorer, the guy who's supposed to be the head of the snake, is that the personality that you want in charge? Can Just I asking. ask you something? Just asking. Ask
0: you? <laughs> Look, it was a fr- Celtics Raptors was on a Friday night. It's entirely possible that you were out living your life doing no, something. I watched
1: <laughs> it. It was his best game of the year. But I'm telling you, the very next night, he had a, an atrocious game. And guys like you who like Kyrie Irving never mentioned the atrocious games. They couldn't even score 90 points as a team, and he has one assist. And look, I'm not a guy who harps on assist numbers as the only way to like view uh, a point guard's success yeah, in terms of it's a It's not
0: the right way to, to view Kyrie.
1: But the way to view... Quality lead playmakers is team offensive efficiency. And Boston is terrible this year and it doesn't look right. They're clunky. They're not getting the most uh, from their supporting cast members. And the point guard bears some responsibility for that. That's all I was saying.
0: Yeah. Well, I I agree in the sense that Kyrie is not the guy who's going to fix everything. Um, I will say watching him in that Toronto game, Some of the shots he was hitting were just outrageous, and they were all crucial, crucial shots where it looked like the Raptors were about to break the game open in the fourth quarter, and Kyrie just continued to respond possession after possession, and it was incredible. The problem with Boston is that they now kind of need that version of Kyrie every night to beat a good team. And that's not going to happen. That's never been Kyrie's mo through the regular season. And um, structurally, there are some issues. It and it does a lot of it comes back to Hayward. The lineup with Hayward in and the rest of the starters has not been good at all. And it's going to be interesting to see how much rope they give Hayward going forward. Um, and the other thing that I would mention, which was actually in my Celtics magazine story to start the year. If you don't believe in this team, the area to really focus on is Al Horford, and Al Horford has not been very good for the first five or six weeks of the season, and uh, that's a reason to be pretty concerned. And so I guess big picture, are, they, are you a believer or not? Are, are the Celtics on your fraud list?
1: I wouldn't call them frauds, but I'm I'm definitely deeply skeptical of them. I hear what you're saying on Horford. Uh, you know he, that is one guy where like his success shouldn't really be dependent upon Kyrie, right? Like he should be able to do what he does at least on the defensive yeah. end well, and everything and he else. he has
0: traditionally been the facilitator for this offense, when Kyrie's healthy or not. I mean, it it usually all runs through Horford, and for whatever reason, that hasn't really clicked this season.
1: All I'm saying here is this. I like point guards who evolve their games. Imagine if Steph Curry... No, listen, listen. Imagine if Steph Curry today was the same player Steph Curry was six years ago. In other words, he was not above above average defender. Uh, He was not as aggressive pulling up off the dribble. He was not as good of a finisher going to the basket. Uh, He was a much more careless uh, passer with the basketball, more turnovers. Imagine if he hadn't worked diligently to fill in all those holes creating an environment where Golden State could build this juggernaut around them, right? If he was just the same guy, you would be getting the same results, you know, average offenses and lottery teams, right? Yeah. Steph Curry has very clearly evolved. And, you know, I, I kind of compared Kyrie to Mello. And here's, uh, you know, here's where I'm going to get, you know, touch the third rail and get really hot. I think, <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> I, think, I think Steph is comparable to LeBron in terms of how he's grown his game uh and Kyrie is the the mellow in this comparison right like they came in pretty much the same guy their whole careers they did it their way they were happy with the results they moved forward with it whereas Steph and LeBron came in were really good and then just kept getting better and better and better and better uh you know working on all the little things and wound up being truly elite talents
0: okay well listen you're not going to get any argument from me that Steph Curry is better than Kyrie Irving um I do think, I mean, first, like, Steph, Steph will give you 30 a night for eight months straight, whereas Kyrie will give you 17, 20, 22, and then will go off for 40 one night, and then he won't be that guy for another two weeks, and that's just the way it works. I do think it's really interesting that there are moments in the playoffs where Kyrie hits a level— that's beyond even where Steph is. And, um, and I think in those big, big, big games, Kyrie is as good a bet as Steph Curry is, and that's part of what makes him so interesting. Full disclosure, though, I think we should add for listeners, after whatever podcast was, I think it was last week, where we talked about Kyrie Irving, you texted me after the fact and said, I was pretty worried that I was too hard on Kyrie on the podcast, and then I saw this jersey and realized that I was right all along. And you texted me a photo of an authentic John Stockton jazz jersey in true old man fashion. So that's where Ben Golliver is coming from on all this Kyrie Irving skepticism.
1: No no question. Talk about a leader. Talk about a guy who could really elevate all the players. He made the mailman, okay? The mailman wasn't delivering <laughs> before he met John Stockton. Most underrated player in NBA history is John Stockton. And I, I really did feel like I needed a karmic balance after I was thinking about, you know, how frustrating, you know, Kyrie's just overall arc has been in terms of okay, he comes in with just unbelievable talent level. Has he maximized that talent on a night to night basis? I just don't see it. I, I'm not yeah. sure.
0: And I just looked up your exact words in that text message, and you said, this is back when point guards were point guards, not just takeover once a month in May guards, <laughs> which is <laughs> uh, elite takery from you there. Um, well, but-
1: question, question though. I mean, when you look at the Celtics, does Brad still get equity in the franchise if they miss the playoffs <laughs> this year?
0: <laughs> Let me tell you something, all right? I would give Stevens, it's not mine to give, I would give Stevens however much equity he wants in the Washington Wizards to come down to Washington, and I think there are probably 25 other teams around the NBA who would feel the same way, so I think we gotta wait at least a year. Like The Celtics have to underachieve for nine months straight before we start asking like hard questions about Brad Stevens's blind spots, and uh, people are starting to jump the gun on that front, whereas I think that there are other questions. Jalen Brown has been really rough, I'm um, really, big picture for Boston, it has been a tough start to the season, because not only has Jalen Brown been bad, but the Kings have been pretty good, and I don't know how sustainable that is, but all of this affects their trade package for Anthony Davis. And um, if you want to get really dark with Boston, like I just casually tossed off the line on the last podcast where we were talking about AD trades. I was like, well, Boston will have the better package. I don't know if that's true. If Jalen Brown continues to struggle the way he has and, you know, Marcus Smart is Marcus Smart. And then if the Kings pick is like 11 or 12 in in June and not one or two or three, um, like... That kind of changes the calculus and may not necessarily knock New Orleans' socks off. And so
1: no, you you sound like you're panicking, man. You sound like a Celtics fan who's panicking right now. it's <laughs> It's great that they brainwashed you. First of all, you were right to say, Don't criticize Brad Stevens yet. It's too early for all that nonsense. That's completely correct. Also, I wouldn't be concerned about these Anthony Davis trade packages, Andrew, quite yet, because you have a more pressing concern, which is that the Brooklyn Nets are only two games behind you uh, in the race for the playoffs. If Boston drops two games, (laughs) they're going to be the ninth seed. And if you want to talk about the greatest jinx in Sports Illustrated history, if you put them on the cover and the Brooklyn Nets make the playoffs and the Celtics don't, that will be the greatest jinx in the the history of our, you know, amazing, profound magazine. And that's what I'm rooting for now, to be honest. I just hope that happens.
0: Unquestionably. Okay. Let me tell you something. If that happens and that's how this all plays out, I can just call it a career right there. I don't need to write another magazine story. (laughs) It's like my work here is done. But Ben, Ben, If you want to talk about real panic and true disarray, it's time to shift to the Washington Wizards. We got a bunch of different Wizards questions. I will just read one here. This is from Will,
1: who says... Hey, before you get into the Wizards questions, though, let's just take a moment. I think the entire open floor globe needs to acknowledge your restraint because your team exploded or imploded, however you want to describe it over the last week. And you made it 56 minutes with only glancing references to the Wizards, and I realize we're going to be breaking your little moratorium on talking about the Wizards by taking these questions going forward. That's incredible restraint. I was completely convinced that you were just going to come on here ranting and raving like a lunatic for the like a full hour and a half, especially when the email that you sent me was titled frauds. I was like, Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> somehow we made it an hour talking about frauds and never really brought up the wizards. So I think that basically we should, you know, do standing ovation. If we were a professional podcast, I'd have a sound effect here that everybody wouldn't be clapping in the background, but you know, kudos to you.
0: Yeah. I've often wished that we could record this podcast in like a professional studio where we have a little soundboard with different effects that we can pepper into the pot but um alas i appreciate your acknowledgement i appreciate the gold star from ben um, but will says i just looked into the future and saw the following headlines november wizards fans rejoice as team's dysfunction leads to potential rebuild december anonymous sources reveal the wizards are playing hard to try and get traded from the team february Bradley Beal is traded to the Lakers for Contavious, Paldwell, Cope, and Lonzo Ball. June, Wizards announced that Ernie Grunfeld quietly re-upped for one more year at the beginning of the season. June 2022, John Wall retires from the Wizards, holding every team record. And um, that was one of probably 15 or 20 incredibly dark Wizards emails. The Beal to the Lakers for Contavious Caldwell-Pope is a trade that I actually joked about yesterday in in talking to a couple people. And um, it's not entirely implausible. I will say this. You mentioned the moratorium on the Wizards. It's been relatively easy for me to stick with that because I just have stopped watching this team because they make yeah, you're me checked too out. upset. You're way yeah. checked
1: out emotionally. It's pretty obvious. I mean, you're not even living or dying with the wins and losses anymore. I swear you text me every single night, mysterious family dinners that you're going to every time the Wizards play. <laughs> it's like, I realize it's probably just you with some cheap crappy pizza, you know, playing video, video games. That's your family dinner instead of watching... Uh, you know, you know, watching these guys take another loss by 20 points.
0: It's its all self-care. Um, but as far as where things stand now and how the Wizards got here, I did write a long piece that anyone can go find on Twitter. Um, it, it came out on Tuesday morning. And uh, I talked about, you know, a lot of the roots of the dysfunction now can be traced back to mistakes that were made five years ago. And the wizards every year are willing to settle for moves that are decent and defensible, but clearly not ideal. And um, when you make those decisions year after year after year and are basically settling for pretty good, eventually that all adds up. And now you look at the mix in Washington and everyone is overpaid and expectations are high and and the team just isn't good enough and that pressure is beginning to sort of like crush the, like everyone involved and everyone is just miserable constantly and we're seeing it play out on the court in some pretty obvious ways that's the only part of this that is surprising to me i knew that this year was probably not going to go well. It was probably going to get pretty ugly. It could and and certainly should lead to some changes in management and, and possibly Scott Brooks. Um, but I didn't think that the Wizards were going to make it so obvious this early in the season that they all kind of hate each other. I mean, look, Bradley Beal was cursing out Ernie Grunfeld during a practice. John Wall cursed out Scott Brooks. I, I, like the whole thing is, is more of a mess than even I could have imagined.
1: Well, remember a couple of weeks ago, I gave you my theory about how like, don't keep anything in a house anymore. Just like, you know, bring it to the surface and you know, maybe... <laughs> the
0: wizards were listening.
1: <laughs> yeah. The wizards took very careful notes on how Jimmy Butler orchestrated his departure. Then they got a little bit concerned that we were distracted by the warriors and their internal dysfunction. And they were like, look, we got to keep getting these headlines. Like, how are we going to do it? okay, let's ramp it up. Let's throw in some profanity. Let's have practice arguments. Let's have a team fine for John Wall. I mean, let's really take this thing to the next level so that everybody realizes how badly we want to be traded. Before the season in the preview issue, I predicted that the Wizards would crumble this year, leading to massive changes next summer. I can't believe how correct I was and how quickly it's come to fruition. And also my theory about Dwight Howard just basically blowing up the entire team everywhere he goes. That has yeah. occurred just right on schedule. I mean, you got to admit, too, Dwight's a tough watch, right? Like, when he's out there, <laughs> Yo. <laughs> like you, you, you can do that whole, like, hey, he's good for a double-double every night rationalization. But when he's just pounding the ball on the post and ISO, when he's, you know, just kind of not in sync with everybody, when he kind of has that Carmelo-like uh, impact on, you know, team chemistry and just, like, energy, it's pretty tough, man.
0: Let me tell you something. It's not a coincidence that my boycott of Wizards games coincided with Dwight's official return to the lineup because the the bits and pieces that I've seen from the last three or four weeks, I guess, he, I guess he's been back for like three weeks, but it seems like almost any time I flip over to watch 90 seconds of a Wizards game, Dwight Howard is not just playing... But he's pulling up from like 18 feet and taking these jumpers where it's like, look, man, it's great that you worked on this, but I don't ever want to see you take that shot again. Like, please, for the love of God, for me, for the team, just don't add that to your game or try to add that 13 years into your career. But credit to Dwight. I mean, why not? When when the team is down 20, might as well kind of spread your wings and fly and um yeah, that's like, look, I, I knew the Wizards were going to struggle. I didn't think that they would be getting blown out by 20 against guys like Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie is another guy who I'd probably trade for in a John Wall deal. Um, it's It's gotten pretty dark. Yeah. Just so
1: we're clear, over the summer, you gave us the 17 steps to talk yourself into Dwight Howard, and now here in November, you've given us one step to talk yourself out of Dwight yeah. Howard. Watch and him it's just,
0: take one 18-foot yeah. jumper, and you'll be
1: out. <laughs> Throw your remote at your television, breaking your television. That's the one step.
0: Yeah. Well, and to be clear, every rationalization I provided over the summer came with the caveat that if this doesn't work, it's going to be so disastrous that it's going to lead to long-term change, which has probably been overdue for several seasons now. And yeah, um,
1: the only thing was that shouldn't have been a caveat. That was just the truth. <laughs> like, that was it. <laughs>
0: no, but it was like, look, there's a, there's a 50% chance this was going to work. And there was no an way. 85% chance it was going to get ugly. The one thing that I, I think has caught me off guard is like, I didn't realize how much I had invested in this team and um and watching the end has actually been kind of brutal and it's not funny and it's not fun. Like look, there here's a here's a trade rumor that came on Twitter right before we came on to record the podcast. Source: Hornets are active in engaging Washington on trade talks for Bradley Beal, Marvin Williams or Nick Batum have been discussed as salary filler. Charlotte management is willing to include a draft pick. There's a serious sense of urgency to improve the roster around Kevon Walker. Like that trade rumor makes me want to drink paint thinner. And so has almost every other rumor that has been floated to bring in to, to steal Bradley Beal or Jabba. Like Whatever the Wizards are going to get back is going to be incredibly depressing. Um, but it's probably time to, to change things either way.
1: Okay, first of all, children out there who are listening, don't drink paint thinner. Please, <laughs> please do not do that. Andrew, what is the worst type of package that you would accept for Bradley Beal? Because you know the report came out, ESPN says, "Hey, you know Bradley Beal is now in trade talks," and to me that was pretty newsworthy because even he three could weeks help ago, a lot of teams. Oh, for sure, there's a lot of teams he could help, but also just three, even three weeks ago, it's like, all right. I mean, you're going to try desperately trade Wall and it probably won't work out. You're definitely going to, you know, trade Porter at some point because he's just not really jibing with everyone. But Beal seemed like the one guy who might sort of be untouchable. So now that he's supposedly in these talks, like what's the type of package that would reach sort of your bare minimum where you'd be okay with it? Because I still feel like smart Wizards fans and observers value him Uh, more highly than he appears right now because it's clear that like in a vacuum, Beal's a better player than he's showing this season, right?
0: Yeah, um, I agree. Particularly if you have another star in place, Beal can be a great complimentary piece. Um, And, you know, he would work next to Kemba. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I don't want Marvin Williams or Nick Batum and a mid first round pick for Bradley Beal. No offense, Charlotte, uh, but my personal bar is a little bit higher than that. But um I, to be hundred percent honest, I think that the the reason you have to trade Beal is because if you're if you're trading one of those guys, you're leaving the players left behind shorthanded to ever really do anything that matters in the east. And so if you trade wall, if you trade Otto and, and say, all right, we're gonna build around Beal... like Bradley Beal's already midway through his prime, and it's it's hard to suddenly find pieces that are gonna like make him a viable uh, contender. And so ultimately, you're gonna have to just start from scratch if you if you do any of this stuff. And so Beal, my my standards are like I would take two first round picks from the Hornets. I would take uh, two firsts from from any team that's trying to grab him or if if a team like like the lakers are not going to trade brandon ingram but i would i would want at least one intriguing young player on top of a pick from another team and god knows what ernie grunfeld will actually negotiate but that would be my hope
1: nice i've got another super depressing question for you so my buddy kevin pelton at espn ranked basically all of the wizards players by trade value. And hilariously, he had John Wall as 8th out of 10. (laughs) And number 9 was Dwight Howard, and number 10 was Jan Mahinmi. And I'm actually wondering, did he overrate Wall? Is there a possibility that Wall should have been 10th? Like, in other words, of course, he's a much better player than Mahinmi, but his contract is significantly worse than Mahinmi with a lot more risk sort of longer term like, do you think it would actually be, especially with this whole trade kicker thing involved, do you think it would be easier uh, and you would get more back for trading Mahinmi than you would trading Wall?
0: Um, no, I think Mahinmi, it's like trading like dead money, basically. And so any team, <laughs> like I don't know what you sell your fans on if you just traded for Jan Mahinmi. Whereas Wall, there's at least enough hope there where, like, the magic or the Suns could trade for John wall and say, we're going to try to get the best out of John wall. Yeah.
1: Look, I, if I was a magic, I would not trade for John wall at all. And they've had a point guard hole for five or six years. Now the Suns, you know, their standards are obviously not really (laughs) existent at this point. It would be such a classic, like rookie GM move for, for a guy like James Jones to trade for John wall. I mean, that would be just quintessential, like first move, you know, out of the box for a GM to do that. Um, I think outside of Phoenix, I don't think there's another team that could trade for him.
0: Yeah, you're not wrong. And I would have been pushing to trade Wall earlier, even dating back to last season, except that every conversation I've had with people around that team have said, look, it's just not feasible until July 2019 because of the trade kicker that was negotiated into his Supermax deal, where like it basically is a 20 million dollar trade kicker that makes the logistics of any deal incredibly complicated and um and so if we're stuck with wall for another six months unless he wants to waive that 20 million dollar uh clause in his contract which who knows things could get bad enough that that becomes like a viable option for him but um but it's i'll believe that
1: when i see it I'll, i'll say that and, that'd be and, a real sacrifice. I mean, it's one thing to curse your coach out. It's another to take a $20 million hit. And I mean, I don't know, like Brooks is going to get fired and Ernie's going to get fired before John Wall waves his trade kicker. That that would be the order of operations on that one.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see. It's, it's going to be a fun six months, um, uh, with John Wall in DC. And look, another thing that the wizards could try to do is get a mid first round pick, for Beal or Otto and then attach that pick to Wall's contract. Like if we're being co- completely honest about where Wall's value is right now, like there is at least a 20 to 30% chance that the Wizards will have to attach a pick to, to dump him on some other team, uh, which is yeah, incredibly dark to think about. But yeah, you're
1: right. I think it's, I mean, I really think he could be harder to trade than Mahimi. And I know that's like the ultimate shade, but man, like his contract is gigantic and he's not playing very well. And I think you've got questions about his leadership too, right? Like this is blowing up on his watch. He's part of the problem, not part of the solution. Like you said earlier with uh, Kyrie Irving. So uh, I, I don't know. There's a lot of questions around there. You know, what's his commitment like to the game? Uh, you know, where's his head at? You know, all of these things, uh, health wise, knee issues. I mean, there's, there's a bunch kind of floating around there that I think could really limit his market. Uh, one other note on Wizards trades. Yeah. I would love the Kings to get in on either Beal or Otto. Woo! I think that... Ooh, Me too.
0: I had never thought about that, but I love watching this Kings team throw oh. Otto Porter out there in the mix.
1: Yeah, throw auto or even like Beal should be such a more entertaining player than I think sometimes he is. Sometimes Washington drags him back to his his worst tendencies at the yes. long twos and all that. Like get him up and down with De'Aaron Fox, how they should have been playing the whole time. Get him focused on shooting three pointers, uh, you know, rather than the tough twos. You know, get him away from just kind of pound, 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 stand and watch stuff. I think that could be an awesome fit for him, and that would be a fantastic backcourt duo, Fox and Beal. Uh, would be really interesting to watch. And then if not, Beal, even settle for Porter. I mean, their wings are interesting. They've gotten some really good minutes out of Buddy Heald, which I did not see coming at all this season. But mm-hmm. do they really have that wing stopper? I mean, they sort of drafted Justin Jackson to be like their auto po- Porter, and that has not worked out exactly. at all. Yep. So you plug him in there, You now you've got a little bit more offensive-defensive balance, and they've got some extra bigs that they could part with. And I think if I'm Washington – I might be looking for you know a center of the future type guy, given the Dwight situation and the Mahimi situation. <laughs> so I don't know. That'd be one team that I would look at in terms of you know a Washington trade partner.
0: Yeah. Um, a couple final thoughts there, uh, building on what you just said. Number one, with Beal, we got another question from somebody who was looking to settle a group chat argument. Who had more value between Jimmy Butler and Bradley Beal? This was Brandon who wrote in. And um, I think Beal, Jimmy Butler is the better player, but Beale is one of the more intriguing trade pieces to hit the market in the last couple years, in part for all the reasons you said, where like he is, we don't know what he could be in a different situation. And I think there's significant upside there and it will be really exciting to see him wherever he ends up um, and see how he responds and see what he can kind of, turn into in the playoffs because he's traditionally been great in the playoffs. And so I'm excited to see how that story ends. And then um, the Dwight (laughs) factor is pretty tough because not only did the Wizards sign Dwight Howard, but they gave him a player option for next season. And I don't know if another team is going to be interested in bringing Dwight in next summer. So there is a 50% chance, let's call it that like, the Wizards go to hell and this whole shit show just like continues to burn for the next six months and players get traded every month or so. And then at the end of this, standing amid the rubble will be Dwight Howard after exercising his player option to just haunt me personally in dc for all of next season
1: that's a beautiful thought i can already see the billboards around town i could see the cover of the media guy (laughs) dwight standing by himself like it's a new era for dc hoops something like that
0: it's gonna be pretty brutal and then the the final thought i have is that i i have loved john wall for the better part of his time in washington and i don't want to give up on him forever i think that he could go somewhere else and be good look trade value is at an all-time low the wizards god only knows what they're going to have to do to get rid of him but um but wherever he goes i will be rooting for him to bounce back and be awesome again and i think that a change of scenery and sort of a wake-up call could be really beneficial for him and it's probably too early to like right off the next five years of John Wall. So I'm not giving up on him forever, but it does seem like things in DC have kind of run their course.
1: No, that's a a good way to put it. I mean, it's very similar to Blake Griffin, right? I mean, it's like, you already kind of know where it's heading down the road. So that casts a shadow over the next couple of years, but he's still got some good basketball left. Like, it's not like he's done, done now. It's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's going to a dark place that you don't want to be a part of. And, and that's why his trade value, as we just discussed, is where it's at. I mean, that's not just based on right now. What does he give you clearly?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. couple more questions here to finish things out. Brandon says, Hey guys, Kemba Walker deserves to be talked about. He's the only thing besides the occasional miles bridges dunk that makes it worthwhile to be a Hornets fan right now. Andrew, you've always been a Kemba fan. Please make Ben put some respect on his name. What do you think of old Kemba in Charlotte? Because I am pretty blown away by the past 10 days.
1: Well, at the st- the start of the season, you were trying to talk me into how great Charlotte would be, and I was sort of like, well, how many 40-point games is Kemba going to give you You know, like on any <laughs> given night? I think that was our conversation, and they still took a loss, I think, on opening night uh, when we were having that conversation. Um, this team squanders more amazing individual performances than I think any other team in the league, right? I mean, going down the stretch against Philly with 60 he outscored all of his teammates combined in that game, Andrew. And I thought he should have tried to outscore them by even more because anytime he did pass the basketball, it felt like there was a 6% chance whoever got the ball was actually going to be able to score. I mean, the shots were barely even hitting the rim. Like yeah. some guys weren't even able to get them up. I mean, it's kind of like a cliche to say, Oh, he's like the adult and he's playing with a bunch of kids. But I mean, his teammates are just so rough and, and, To be honest, it takes away from the whole experience because I just wind up feeling like just deep sympathy when I watch him play, that it's not exciting. It's not thrilling to watch the Hornets play, even when he's going off. The whole time, I'm just thinking of like, can we get this guy a life raft and get him out of here? And by the way, like I've criticized you for having that same feeling about Anthony Davis in the past where it's like, hey, stop bagging on the Pelicans. Just appreciate what he's doing on the court. So I'm going to admit to some hypocrisy here. I mean, that's absolutely you know, a, a very similar comparison, but that's how I feel when I watch Kemba. It's, it's not a fun watch to me. It's like, God, like his whole career is going to go by the wayside and he's going to be like the ultimate cult hero where only people who were like league pass junkies appreciated him because he spent six years toiling with just one of the, the worst collections of talent around him in the league. See,
0: I feel a little bit differently about Kemba and Charlotte. And you hit on it at the end there. Like, this is the perfect role for him. He is the league pass cult hero right now. And I don't know if, I mean, if you're paying Kemba Walker max money to be an elite starting point guard on a championship contender, I don't know how he would fare in that role. But as the, like little giant who refuses to disappear in games that his team should be losing. He's fucking perfect. <laughs> and watching him go off on these teams have been so it's been so much fun. And so I, the question is where it goes from here. I mean, I was at a Hornets game a couple of weeks ago when I was doing that Trey young piece for the magazine, which by the way, we need to talk about <clears throat> Trey young at some point in the next couple of uh, podcasts because we just, we just haven't had time. But um, but watching Kemba's relationship with like the fans down there, he really does kind of breathe life into every single Hornets game. And it's really cool to, to watch the way he's kind of embraced all of it because it would have been really easy for him to get pretty bitter, demand a trade. I mean, look, he could leave at the end of the season and it, he would be well within his rights to say, trade me now, I want to contend but he hasn't done that, and... Um,
1: no, that's a great point. His honor and integrity only kind of make it sadder, right? <laughs> like, well,
0: <laughs> I don't think it makes it sadder. I do think it's just a really cool thing to watch him down there. I wonder about what's no, next, he's a, though.
1: He, he's a stand-up guy, and I guess I'm I'm getting to the point where it's like, okay, he's done right by them for long enough where let's try to get him onto one of these contenders, right? I know the Philly fans are just salivating over him in terms of what he could bring to the table for them this summer. What do you think about that, Fed?
0: Yeah, that's the one that I keep coming back to. And, um, I mean, that we didn't get to a question about a Ben Simmons trade, but one thing that I've been daydreaming about is the potential for the Sixers to sign Kemba Walker this summer, re-sign Jimmy Butler, and then trade Ben Simmons for Anthony Davis this summer. There is a 3% chance that that actually happens. (laughs) But wouldn't that be insane?
1: I kind of liked where you were going up until the the part where they got Anthony Davis because that seems like a a giant, you know, question mark. But I do think... you could easily talk yourself into the idea that Simmons is not the cleanest fit and he wants to be his own star, his own guy, yeah. so let, let's trade him, but then you know bring in Kemba to fill that lead ball handler role, have a really strong backcourt duo with him and Jimmy, You know, plus a, a franchise center who's locked in. All those guys are pretty clean fits. You've got a nice offensive-defensive balance there, and you cash out on Simmons when you know his trade value is going to be really high next summer because whoever trades for him will be able to lock him up on that second contract. That could be a really, really good team, and it could actually be a cleaner fit than going forward with uh, Simmons and Embiid and, and Butler as well. I don't know. Like, I, I think there's something to that. I mean, I definitely would would keep an eye on Philly there. Um, yeah. Are there any Are there any other contenders that you could really see that would have a big Kemba need? Uh, I think it's it's tricky because there's so many point guards out there already. Like, lots of guys are having good seasons at that position. I think in part because of the rule change, and in part because there's just so many shooters. Where when you do look at the prospect of like bringing in Kemba on a max next summer, um, you have to weigh it against like how much of it is that guy an upgrade over whoever you have currently. Exactly. Yeah. And I think most of the good teams would probably say, hey, you know, we're probably okay with what we've got.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, look, Kemba Walker is is going to be making a ton of money. So it's a big commitment to make next summer. Um, And look, he could stay in Charlotte. Charlotte could trade Marvin Williams for Bradley Beal tomorrow and this could all look different by the time we revisit this in a week or two. But um, the, the only other team I had thought about is if the Knicks can somehow woo Durant this July. Um, it would be pretty fun to see them then turn around and find space for Kemba Walker as well, uh, because I don't think that they're going to get, like, Kyrie Irving or somebody to, to play with KD. And and Kemba Walker back in Madison Square Garden um, reliving the Big East tournament every single night would be pretty great as well. But in general, it does seem like the Sixers... Are the best fit and and make a lot of sense.
1: If you were Kemba, what would you do? Would you just resign and and just be that guy who's like old school? You know, one team, one franchise, your whole career. You know, that love of the fan base. You know, I, I never turn my back on them. Would you take the big cash out? Would you chase a title with Philly? What would you do?
0: Um, I would probably go chase a title in part because the way Kemba Walker has handled the last eight years in Charlotte has been so um impressive and endearing that he is going to be kind of untouchable for life and and beloved for life down there in charlotte regardless of what he does this summer and i, I, I like i can't speak for hornets fans but i know if i was rooting for someone like Kemba walker and watching him like watching great games be squandered repeatedly over the course of like several years i would say look go be great somewhere else. We will always love you here. And, uh, and I think he's got that kind of relationship with the fans there. So at, at this point, like, go take your shot. If you can get max money somewhere else in a, in a situation where you're going to be contending every year, like, see what you could do. And I still don't totally believe that Kemba could, could do this at the highest levels of the league in the playoffs. But um, I think everybody who watches these league pass games, like, wants to see that happen.
1: Uh, another possible team for next summer. What about the Clippers? You know, I think they've got a yep. an, an interesting situation there, where like could you play him with Shea at the same time? Possibly, um, you know, you maybe you move on from Beverly. You've got a bunch of expiring contracts. You're going to have flexibility if you strike out on the A list guys, or even if you can get one, but then find room to to create two. Um, you know, would Kemba be sort of like the face of the Clippers? You know, going into next season. I mean, I, I think that could be a team that would have some interest there in terms of you know, long-term, I, I, I just don't know. Are you ready to turn the whole thing over to Shea yet? I guess that's the question.
0: Yeah. And I would say no. I, I think we might be jumping the gun if we're factoring Shea into max free agents that the Clippers will or won't pursue. I think he's been really yeah. good and really fun to watch, but like he's probably co- a couple years away from really swinging anything in the playoffs. And so go the Clippers, I can't wait to see what Clippers free agency turns into because there are like a dozen different possibilities for them.
1: Yeah, they could do a lot worse than Kemba, right? I mean, yeah. obviously they they could they're hoping for better. I mean, in their mind they're thinking Katie and Kawhi, right? But okay, like what's that really gonna shake out as? If you wind up coming home with Kemba, that's a pretty good summer.
0: All right, two final questions here. First from Scott, who says, I've never emailed in, but I couldn't pass this up. I'm up in Boston this weekend and driving through the Longwood area, telling my girlfriend about Andrew's turkey encounter. Right as I finished telling the story. We see a family of turkeys on the side of the road. A minute later, we keep driving and are turning onto Beacon Street and two more turkeys are right there in the road. I guess turkeys are taking over Boston. And um, yes, thank you, Scott. <laughs> we got a lot, of, a, a lot of feedback from people who said that turkeys are relatively common in Boston. Um, and it's, I had seen a couple more in my years up there I forgot that the part of the story that I forgot is that I wasn't I was in the Longwood area because at the time I was dating a nurse and I was dropping her off at work at six in the morning. So it was actually even earlier. And that's why I thought I was like hallucinating at 545, seeing this family of turkeys on the side of the road. But I'm glad I'm not the only one. And all of this is pretty topical with Thanksgiving around the corner.
1: Yeah, um, that's really nice of you to give her a ride at 6 a.m. That's like really above and beyond. <laughs> I think I, I heard, screwed
0: up or something.
1: <laughs> I actually heard from a, a listener named Kyle who DM'd me a picture of a wild turkey distribution map, which he basically shows where they live across the country. And he just wanted you to know, Andrew, that turkeys are not uncommon Uh, You know, we don't want to discount the majesty of any of nature's creatures, (laughs) but Andrew needs to get out more if that's his most memorable experience with wildlife. And if you look at the map, you know, it covers basically the entire eastern seaboard, almost everything east of the Mississippi, uh, you know, some areas in the bay. Uh, as well as uh, it looks like maybe the Dakotas and, and, and Texas as well. So Andrew- Okay, wait, 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 wait. Uh, we got we got some wildlife elitists who are saying, you know, your coolest story with nature is just not that cool. I don't first know. First
0: of all, first of all, I have had other experiences with wildlife in my time, okay? I, there was a, an incident with some bulls on a, on a uh, remote road that we won't get into now because the podcast is already running long. But just for the record- Wild turkeys are rare in cities, okay? Maybe not in Boston, but I don't typically run into wild turkeys in Washington, D.C., so excuse me.
1: Well, this is all reminding me of when I was driving around Palos Verdes uh, not too long ago and I saw some peacocks just walking down the street. I mean, kind of similar (laughs) to, you know, honestly, kind of a cooler version of a turkey. But I did almost like stop the car again and just kind of like freeze up. It's just like, what do you do around a peacock? You're not prepared for that moment. So look, I'm going to get your back here a little bit. I think Kyle was a little harsh. I was impressed by his knowledge of the wild turkey game. I mean, clearly he was you know, neck deep in the turkey stuff. But right. yes, <laughs> the timing here is fantastic. And we want to just say, you know, our Thanksgiving is to the listeners, right, Andrew, the Open That's Floor Globe. Right. Yes. They they held us down really hard this this whole uh, year with amazing questions, comments, concerns, you know, arguments and all of it. Guys, we really thank you. You can keep the questions coming to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail edgymail.com. Honestly, that wasn't my smoothest transition ever, but it, <laughs> it, it, it was heartfelt. And Andrew, they can also check us out on Apple Podcasts. Find our page by searching for open floor. That's two words. Scroll down. When you get there, it will say rate and review, tap five stars, uh, You know, maybe leave us a little thanks. We'd always appreciate your gratitude. Uh, the positive reviews make us very happy. Of course, we're also on the world famous radio.com and lots of other great places to get podcasts. Hey, Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you.
0: Yes, sir. Go enjoy Yellowstone or Yosemite.
1: Jesus, Andrew, it's Yosemite. (laughs) I've already said this three times.
0: All right, Yosemite, enjoy uh, Thanksgiving, everyone. Follow Ben.Goliver on Instagram. I'm sure the stories (laughs) are going to be off the hook this weekend, and we will be back next week. Take it easy, man.
1: The Blue Bubble Gang is going to be hashtag no service, though, Andrew, so you might have to catch up once I'm back. I'll talk to you. All right.
0: Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team.
1: It's the Locked On
0: Podcast Network, your team every day.